Welcome to church. Glad you are here. If you have your Bibles or your phones, if you want to get those out, let's go to Matthew 22. We are actually moving on from the last passage, entering into a new passage. And I'm excited about that. This year is a big year for our family. We've got our baby turning 15 tomorrow. We've got Emma in a couple of days turning 21. Yeah. And if you haven't spoken to her, she'll be happy to show you her purple cake that she's getting, just so you know. If she's coming up with a phone, just indulge her, say beautiful cake and keep moving and you'll be fine. And then Ethan obviously leaves for college uh, in a little bit. And then there's something else that's happening. Oh, she's out in the foyer, but my sister is turning 50 this year. (laughs) Hopefully she heard that. I'll pay for that later. That's just making up for all the things she did to me when I was younger. But there's something that my sister and I have in common. We have a very difficult time lying. We have a difficult time hiding our feelings and emotions. We, if I'm trying to lie to you, I'm going to be smiling or laughing. So if I'm ever smiling and laughing while I'm talking to you, I could be lying to you. Just kidding. Probably not. I don't make it a habit to do that. But when I was younger, that was the tell. If I tried to hide something or lie, I just smiled. But I've noticed in my own children, that doesn't really apply to them, but I have learned that when I'm asking them something or I'm talking with them about something, I can usually decipher when there's more at stake than what they're telling me. Not that they're lying to me, not that they're trying to hide something, but the root of the matter is being masked by a symptom that they're sharing with me. Any parents know what I'm talking about? By the way, we do that too. Oh, how you doing? I'm great. I feel fine. Liar. (laughs) Right? Usually there's something else deep down. And that's no different even in our Christian walk. In fact, we find Christ doing that so many times with people. They will come up with these questions, right? The Pharisees thinking they're smarter than him. And they'll ask a question. And normally what he does is he'll answer that question really quickly. But then go to something different because that's really what they're there for. The symptoms are the things that we share with everybody else, but we all know that we all have underlying root issues that we try to mask with the things that we share with other people. And the thing that I, one of the many things that I love about Jesus is he always goes to the heart of the matter and not really the symptom. Because our focus is always on the symptom. The thing that we want to fix. But the reality is God doesn't care about that as much because he really wants to get to the heart of the issue. Because if he can get to the heart of the issue, that symptom goes away. And that's what we try to do as parents with our children, which irritate the fool out of them, right? Because we keep plugging and keep digging and they don't want to dig. They want to keep it where it's at. But we keep pushing because we know that if we can get them to the heart of the matter, all this other stuff that they're dealing with will kind of just fix itself. And as parents, it's frustrating to us when our kids won't do that. They won't let us walk with them and help them. How much more frustrating do you think it is to God? Who created us, who knows us best, who knows the exact fix, the exact root issue that we can't even know yet. And yet he does it all the time. And that's what we're going to find in this passage today. Let me introduce you to somebody that uh, that you might not know. Um, Got it backwards there. The Sadducees. How many of y'all have heard about the Sadducees before? I know you've probably read about them or heard about them. But the Sadducees are really, honestly, sad people. 
It, one of the, the, the jokes in theological seminaries and Bible colleges is, we're going to find out why they were so sad, you see. <laughs> it's not my joke, that's why you're laughing, because I didn't come up with it. But here's why they're so sad, they're why they're called Sadducees. The main theological stance that they took was that they did not believe in the resurrection. Well, sorry, but that's the crux of what we believe. It's the whole point of why we're here. If there is no resurrection, we might as well just go do something else. They also did not believe in rewards or punishments after death. We had free reign, we could do whatever we want, because when we die, our souls are just annihilated and we're good. If our bodies die, our soul dies, and so there's no fear or excitement about a reward or a punishment. Sounds kind of nice, right? You can live however you want. You got the knowledge of God, live however you want. There's no punishment at the end or no reward. Who cares? It is, and that's, you see? I'm getting better. Woo! Anyway, they were very wealthy. And they had a very high standing in society. They were very knowledgeable. They studied the law, the the, the law of Moses, those first five books, better than anybody. And somehow or another, inside of that, they developed this theological stance that there was no resurrection. And that's what they pushed. They stood strong on that. They were adamant about it. And they were knowledgeable and very wealthy. And so they didn't need to worry about the fear of punishment or the reward of, of um, rewards later on. Because they had all they needed. They didn't need anything else. That's sad to me. And so here's the thought for today. We can't know our own heart, but he can. You can't know your own heart. Now, I know that seems weird because we know what makes us tick, what, what we love and what we like. But the reality is when we talk about heart, we're not talking about the thing that beats with inside of us, nor the little heart-shaped thing that actually does not exist, by the way. Your heart does not look like that, in case you didn't know that. The heart, when we talk about the heart, a biblical heart is our mind, our will, and our emotions, It's not the beating thing. It is how we think. It is our driving force. And it's how we feel. All of that makes up our heart. And so when we say, when we hear the writer, or Jeremiah, the prophet, tell us that we can't know our own heart because it is deceitful and desperately wicked, it makes sense. My emotions will confuse me. The conversations that I have in my head you don't want to know about because they're loud and obnoxious and all over the place and very, very burdensome. And no, I'm not crazy because you have the same conversations going on in your head. And so when we hear Jeremiah say, hey, just so you know, your heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. You can't know it. He's not trying to downplay who we are he's not trying to make us feel bad he's giving us an honest statement of the fact that we can confuse ourselves but we're going to find real quick today that there is one who can know your heart and it's not you but you can know it through him 
So let's go to the passage of scripture and let's see how this plays out. Because remember, we just left the passage where the Pharisees sent their disciples with the Herodians to him to try to trip him up. Remember, we spent a year on that. And so now we've got another group of smarties coming. Another group thinking, well, the Pharisees couldn't do it. We'll do it. Verse 23. The same day the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection. So again, Matthew is letting us know this is where these guys are at. There is no resurrection. Came to him and asked him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. That's a common law. We'll look at that in just a minute back in Deuteronomy. He says in verse 25, now there were uh, with us seven brothers. Hypothetical situation. The first died after he had married and having no offspring left his wife to his brother. Following the law, remember they study the law, they know it inside and out, they're going to follow the law to the T. And so now they're going to put Jesus to the test. Because the first brother dies, so now the second brother should take that brother's wife. But here's the real issue. Likewise, the second also, meaning the second also died, and the third, even to the seventh. So this poor woman has now married And been with seven brothers. Last of all, the woman dies. And here's their question. Therefore, in the resurrection. Who are we talking about here? The Sadducees who do not believe in what? But in the resurrection. Whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. It's a fair question. Because we all know when we die and go to heaven, I'm still going to be married to Sally. Be careful. Don't get ahead of me. Because that's a common thought and it could just be wrong. Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken. Love that. Wrong. (laughs) He looks at him and says, you're wrong. You're mistaken. I did that for you, Savannah, just so you know. He said, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Now, wait a second. He just looked at the Sadducees who study the law, who are high in society, and they know the law inside and out. And he looks at them and said, you're mistaken knowing the law. In fact, you really don't even know the law. You don't even know the scriptures. You're missing the point. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. Now listen, that's not Paul, that's not John, that's not any of the apostles. That's Jesus saying, in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. Now for me, might burst your bubble a little bit and we can contend and go back and forth however you want. But the way that I see that and the way that I study that is Sally, I will know that she was my wife, but when I get to heaven... I'm not going to be concerned about her and I being married. Think about that. I'm in heaven. Why am I in heaven? Because of what Christ did on the cross. Therefore, if I'm in heaven because of what Christ did on the cross, I'm not going to be as excited being to marry uh, to Sally as I am now because I want to be at the feet of Jesus. And they're trying to make it that there's so much more that we have to be connected... Things are going to be so different when we get there. We as human beings, as believers, need to stop attributing human characteristics and beliefs to heaven stuff. 
It's going to be different. Jesus says, you're not going to marry there. It's not going to happen. Look what else it says. But are like angels of God in heaven. Now, it's very popular belief, and I hear it all the time when I do funerals. They are now my angel. No, they're not. When people die, they do not become angels. Angels are a separate, created being that are not like us. We were created with a mind, will, and emotions, a soul. They were not. They were created for a specific purpose and a specific reason. When you die, you will not be an angel. I know, I just made a lot of y'all mad because you were looking forward to those wings and your little harp and your little bow and arrow. That's not scriptural. But he does say you will be like the angels. You will have the same ideals, the same um, feelings and uh, ability to worship. You will be like them. But you will be different. And so these men, these smart, smart men, and I say that with all the respect because they really do know the law inside and out. But because they knew the law so well, they missed the point of the law. Now watch what he does. So he's answered the question, right? He's like, you missed the point. It's not, it's not even about whether they're married or not because when we get there, we're going to have the job and responsibilities of what the angels are doing. We're going to worship God with them. That's what that means. That's what that looks like. But watch what he does. He could have just stopped right there and went on. But notice what he does. I love this. He says, but concerning the resurrection. But concerning the real heart of the matter, Sadducees. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God saying, love it. He's using their own knowledge and the own uh, text that they have been studying. He says, and he quotes, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Notice when he quotes, he says, I am the God of Abraham. These guys had already passed. They were already dead. And yet God is saying, I still am the God of them. Why? Because they are alive. Yes, they died physical deaths, but they are spiritually alive. Because our God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, when everybody around them heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Why were they astonished? Because it was different. They've heard the law and how it was taught and the legalism behind it. But now he's coming out saying, hey, there's so much more to this. There's so much more to this. I can't imagine how frustrating it was to the Sadducees. But they didn't know what to do with it. Because what they came with was a symptom. And Jesus addressed the symptom, but he went after the heart. Jesus addresses their concern, but was it really their concern? I mean, seriously, they ask a question about the resurrection. And we know confidently that they didn't care about the resurrection. They didn't even believe in the resurrection. So really, what was their concern? It wasn't the resurrection. It wasn't even about marriage. It was about trying to discredit Jesus because of the truth that he was teaching. Their truth was about the law. His truth was about honoring the law, but through relationship. 
Deuteronomy 25.5, we find the law that they are going after, that they bring up. It says, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man uh, shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. That was the law. A little different, right? That'd be a little weird. Yes, it's okay to say yes. But that was their custom. That was not weird for them. It was normal for them. And so the Sadducees are bringing a point that was, may have been contentious, maybe not, but it was a point that they wanted to address. But they tried to address it through a truth that they didn't even believe. Isn't that so much like us? We try to validate so many things that we don't even believe in the first place. But because we get so passionate about it, we're going to stand our ground even though we know that it's not right. Or that it is right. They don't believe in the resurrection nor the afterlife. So what is the point of their argument? Remember when I was talking about how we deal with our children? And we talk to them. And we know deep down based on their body language and their responses. We know that there's something else going on. This is exactly what's happening here. Why did they bring up the resurrection? Because they didn't care about the resurrection. There was so much more to it. They came with a self-developed truth. You ever do that? They came with a self-developed truth. And why did they do that? Well, did they want to validate themselves? Did they want themselves to sound smart, to sound important, to, to be able to validate whatever they were trying to prove? Did they do it to discredit Jesus? That's kind of where I sit. They didn't care about the resurrection. We already know that for sure. But they didn't like the things that he was teaching because it was a little different than what they were teaching, even though he was teaching the same thing just from a relational standpoint. Maybe they did it just to make life easier. Because if we can validate our sin, we can just keep moving on with no worry. Think about it. We do it every single day. We rationalize the things that we want to do, even though we know it is wrong, but we talk ourselves into it. We persuade ourselves to do what we know we should not do. Paul talks about that. He's like, the things that I know that I'm supposed to do, I don't do it. And the things that I know that I'm not supposed to do, I end up doing them. Why? Because that's how we are created. That's the inner workings of who we are and why it is so important that we turn our life over to the Spirit of God who knows our hearts and our inner workings better than anybody and can direct us in the path that we need to go. Why? Because it's His righteous path and His name is on the line. I think so many times when people have an issue, when we get stuck in a spot, because we do that, it's not because of a truth in scripture, it's probably because of a self-developed truth that we can't validate to make ourselves feel better. And the reality is if we would take that self-developed truth and try to match it up to scripture, we would find real quick that we were in the wrong. Oh man, did you hear what I just said? That you were wrong. I hate to hear that. It crushes me when I hear that I'm wrong. And I know that I'm not the only one. 
And so when we enter the spiritual realm, we want to think we've got it all together. But the reality is so many times we bring these self-developed truths into the realm of our spiritual world. And Christ is constantly saying, we've got to change that. It's not okay. It's not right. And all we hear is, you're wrong. You're dumb. You don't know what you're doing. Because that's the, what the world tells us. And yet if we could hear the Spirit, if we could hear Jesus saying, hey, what about this? He's not saying that you're wrong, dumb, and stupid. He's saying, hey, let's rethink this. You're kind of missing the idea of what's going on here. Did he call these guys dumb at all? No, he just simply said, hey, you just misread some things. You're just a little off in your thinking. Let me help redirect you. We validate what we feel is important. Amen? If I'm passionate about something, I will do my best to persuade you, right or wrong. We do that. And even if it's contrary to the truth, which scares me. Because it's more about being right or wrong rather than being accurate. Come on. This is where we live. It is the reason we stumble in our Christian walk so much. Because we don't want someone to tell us that we have to change. It's the reason people hesitate to submit to a holy God because they think, well, I've just got to change everything. Maybe, but maybe not. It could be that God just wants to love on you and heal you and then slowly work on the things that are maybe self-guided truths or maybe misinterpretations or maybe you just need to learn something new. But God is not a mean bully or an awful parent. I'm not sure what your parental situation was growing up. That's not God. God is a loving heavenly father that is just and righteous and holy and really has high expectations. But even with those high expectations, do you know what he does? He is patient. He is long-suffering. Far more long-suffering than anybody could ever imagine. Why? Because he wants you to be the best version of you. Oh, that sounded like Joel Osteen. That he intended you to be. Maybe the only thing I agree with him on. That's God's intentions. He wants to create you to be what he intended you to be, which is someone who can bring glory and honor to God. Which, on a whole separate note, that's problematic for us because we think life should be about me. And how can it be about me if God wants me to be about him? Some of us need to get over ourselves. Some of us need to stop thinking that we're a little more than we are. And then some of us on the other end need to think about, no, I really am something in Christ. Some of us think too low of ourselves, And we're not recognizing who we are in him. Man, I'm getting way out there. But here's the thing. When we try to validate our own little self-deceptive truths, what God wants to do is he sees the bigger issue. Those self-deceptive truths that we try to validate are simply symptoms of something bigger going on. And what God does is he'll address those little symptoms, but really what he wants to do is get to the heart of the matter. He wants to get to the roots of the matter. We've been talking about roots for quite a while now and being a part of the vine. Because the roots are what bring health and strength and stability. If our roots are good, everything else will be just fine. 
But if we are producing these self-deceptive truths and these misguided ideas, it's coming from somewhere. And what God wants to do is get down beneath the surface that we can't see and say, it's right here. Let me help you with this. Let me come alongside you and gently massage this root and give it the nourishment that it needs to where you can produce the fruit that I've geared you to produce. Does that not sound so good? Then why? If it sounds so good, why do we hesitate so much? Why on a Sunday morning when you know God is hitting you between the eyes, are we not at the altar? Not trying to guilt you. But if it works, great. At some point, standing and in our minds acknowledging that, yep, God, I hear you, is not going to be enough. There's got to be some type of movement. That doesn't mean you've got to come up here and air your junk. It doesn't mean you've got to do something fancy. You could kneel right at the seat that you are, but do something. Don't just acknowledge it in your mind. Let it change your heart, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Watch these verses. There's so many verses about this. In Psalm 44, the psalmist writes, Would not God search this out? For he knows what? The secrets. Now we're getting into dangerous territory. There are secrets I may not want God to know. He already knows. I think that's the funniest thing to me, is when we legitimately think we are hiding things from God. That cracks me up. I, I seriously, I will laugh at myself when I do that. I'm going to be like, Alan, you're an idiot. He already knows. Stop being dumb. What are you hiding? Why? Because he's the one that wants to do the dirty work. He's the one that wants to get in there and dig this stuff out. When's the last time you had a bad cavity or a tooth pain? Just unbearable. What'd you do? Did you wait it out? Do you deceive yourself and say, ah, it'll fix itself. It's not a big deal. I'll just chew on this side. No, you went to the dentist and said, get that thing out. Go deep into the part that I can't find and fix it. When you got a back issue, some of us will go to the chiropractor, other of us go to surgeons. Because I want it fixed. I want to be able to walk. I want to be able to move. I want to be able to do the things that I know that I can do. And I can't do it on my own because I can't even see it. So I go to the one who can help me. We all know that this is common sense. It's the reality of the life that we have. So help me please understand for one second how in the world we as believers think that we've got it all figured out, that we don't need to go to the very one who created us and knows the inner workings of our heart better than anybody. Help me understand that. Why do we do that? Because we're scared. We have validated ourselves so much that we've become calloused and comfortable in our junk that we don't want him to rip off what is covered up. We don't want him to find the things that we have hidden so well that we've even almost forgot about them. But that those secret things are truly causing us pain. God is the only one who knows the secrets of your heart. We think that we know our issue. We come to him and we say, God, help me with this. Right? Fix this. Change this. But God, 
reveals a deeper subject rather than the symptom. And most of the time, the reason we don't really go to him, or if we do go to him, we talk a lot and listen little, because we're scared to death of what he's going to say to us. If I do all the talking, then I'm super spiritual. I'm holding on to this conversation, I'm controlling it, and I'm super spiritual because I can say everything I need to say, then I can get up and everything's good. Pretty confident that there's a portion of prayer that requires us to shut up. To be still and to know that he is God. There's a portion of our prayer life that we just need to be Listen for what he has to say. Well, Alan, I don't know if he's talking to me. Oh, you'll know. It'll be something far outside of the realm that you would normally think about. It will be clear as day. The moments that he has spoken to me, and he doesn't always do it this way, but the moments that he has clearly spoken to me, there was no doubt. No doubt. None. It was different than what I would have thought. It was congruent with Scripture. And it was right to the heart of the matter once he revealed it to me. That's the greatness of our God. He doesn't want to deal with your symptoms. That's what we want to do. Symptoms are much easier. Just give me some Tylenol and it will fix my, my tooth pain. Is that not what we do? But God says, no, you've got a major cavity. That tooth is so rotten it needs to come out. Love this. Psalms 139, the psalmist continues. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. That's giving him permission to come into our mind, all those thoughts, craziness that lives up there, our will, my desire to do what I want to do, and my emotions, my feelings, the, the inner workings of what they would call my bowels, the deep down stuff. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. And know my what? We don't like that word. We don't, we're not anxious. We don't have any anxiety. We have no depression. That's a bad, bad word. That's not a fun word. But it's a real one. In fact, I think Paul addresses the idea of how to deal with our anxieties. He says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, do what? By prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And if we do that, when we can honestly do that, the verse continues. He says, and the peace will guard your hearts, your mind, will, and your motion, and your minds through Christ Jesus. Because when Christ is involved, when God is involved, when his spirit digs in. He doesn't deal with the anxiety top stuff. He goes for the hard stuff. And that is what calms our anxieties and our fears. Jeremiah says, but you, O Lord, know me. Who knows you? Well, my wife knows me pretty well. My kids know me pretty well. My mom and dad know me pretty well. My sister knows me pretty well. You guys know me pretty well because I tell you just about everything. But who knows me the best? God, why is he the last one we go to? We will talk to everybody and their brother. We will go on Facebook. We will do all the research. And the one that knows us best is sitting on the edge of his throne simply saying, just ask me. 
I know, I can help you. I want to come love on you. I'm waiting, but you got to come ask me. And you have tested my heart toward you. Jesus chooses to deal with the heart of the matter. That's what I love about him. He doesn't deal with the superficial stuff. He wants to get to the real issue. I think many times when I was a teenage pastor, that irritated teenagers, because I didn't care about the superficial stuff. I want to get to the real issue. And man, I would press them. Boy, I'd press them. I'd press them hard. Because I knew if we could get to the heart of the issue, everything else would fix itself. And I was relentless. Because I loved them. And I wanted the best for them. I wanted them to get to the place where the Holy Spirit could deal with their heart. And that's what he does with us. But he does it in such a way that is kind and caring and patient. It kind of reminds me of the fruit of the Spirit. He's loving. He's joyful. He's patient. He's kind. He's faithful. He's gentle. And he shows self-control. It's amazing how that works, isn't it? Matthew 9, 4, Jesus is so good about this. Again, remember, these Pharisees are constantly coming at him, constantly challenging him. And look what he says. Why do you think evil in your hearts? He didn't even answer their question. He goes straight to them and say, why are you thinking evil in your heart? I love that. We can come to him with all this stuff, but if we will listen to him, he will say, well, what about this? And that's why we don't want to listen. Amen? Come on, let's be honest and real today. We know, we know that he wants to talk to us. We know that he wants to help us. We know that he can help us. We know that he knows us best. And yet we still hold back. It's astounding to me. Luke 16, this is such a good one. He says to them, again, he's talking to these smart people. You are those who justify yourselves before men. You look good, you sound good, you do all the right things, but look what he says. But God knows your heart. I don't like that one. Because I'm the pastor. So with me being up here, then naturally I'm a good person and I do all the right things and I think right and I pray right and I read right and I study right. Right? But God knows my heart. And God sees things that he wants to fix and to to embolden and to empower and to help and to correct. Not because he's mean. Not because that I'm necessarily doing anything wrong, but maybe I could do things better. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. You might think you've got it all together because everybody sees that. But do not be deceived. God is not mocked and he knows your heart. But how does God work with us? If our hearts are desperately wicked and deceitful, how does he work with us? How how can we get past this? Right? Because I can't trust myself. So how do we get there? Well, he kind of makes it easy for us. He says in Acts, so God who knows the heart. So again, we've gone all over this place of we can't know our own heart, but we've seen a gazillion verses, really about six or seven, that God knows our heart. Who knows the heart, acknowledge them by giving them what? The Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. 
When you trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you submit your life to him, recognizing that you're a sinner, that you need what he did on the cross to cover your sins and to celebrate the victory of his resurrection. When we do that, the Spirit of God rests inside of you. And what his job is, is to direct you in the paths of righteousness is to correct us in those spots where we are off and to dig into the inner parts of our heart that we don't want to go to. Why? Because he loves you. Because he wants the best for you. And because he wants you to be all that you can be in order to serve him with everything that he's created you to have. His spirit to us reveals and guides us. That's how we do this. On my own, I can assure you with 100% confidence, I will goof it up. Ask my wife. I'm going to goof it up. I'm not the smartest person in the world, not the sharpest tool in the tool shed. Not quick anymore. A little slowed down. But the reality is, none of that matters. Because if I can trust in the holy God that I've claimed to love and given my life to, then I know that his spirit dwells within me and will guide me and make me wise and help me and strengthen me to be what he has created me to be. Not what I want to be, but what he wants me to be. But it starts... With submission and obedience. It starts with giving our lives over to him and allowing him the freedom and giving him permission to dig. And we don't like that. Let's be honest. We are comfortable in our nice little fluffy spot. But let me encourage you this morning. There are better, fluffier spots to come. You just might have to rip the first one up. You can't know your own heart. You can't figure it out. But God can. We have seen in his word already. And that was just a couple of the verses that talk about this. God knows the deep inner workings and the things that you struggle with and the things that you have zero clue about, the things that you've hidden away, the things that you hope never come back up. He will be the one that will say, let's dive a little deep. Let's go get that. And when he says that, here's the cool thing about it. He doesn't say, hey, you go get it. You go dig it up and you wrestle with it for a little while and then you come find me. He says, no, let me go with you. I will help you. I will dig with you. I will work this out with you. I will help you all the way through this. And by the way, I know right where it's at. I know how it affects you. I know how it can be helpful to you. And I know how to fix it. Seriously. Is that not amazing? I love it when I have an issue and I can go to Charlie. And say, Charlie, here's the thing I'm thinking through and I can't, I can't figure it out. And he and I talk together. He doesn't look at me and say, here's what it is. He and I discuss and we wrestle and we go back and forth until I can come to a place with his guidance and through the power of the Spirit of God to get to a place where it makes sense. 
That's what the Spirit of God wants to do with us. He just wants to come alongside you this morning. Hold your hand, carry you, drag you, whatever he needs to do. And go deep. Because you can't know your own heart. You can't figure it out. That doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean you're awful. It doesn't mean you're dumb. It just means that our heart, our mind, and our will and emotions are just confusing at best. But God is not scared by that. He is not turned away by that. He is not confused by that. He knows your heart this morning. He knows what you're sitting here right now as you're listening to me talk, what you're already wrestling with and hoping that you won't have to deal with it with him. You know how I know that? Because I remember sitting right where you're at. And I remember a pastor impassionately imploring me to come deal with things, thinking, man, I really need to deal with that. I'll do it later. It may not be a later. Good luck with that. You can try that. I would encourage you not to, though. I would encourage you not to. Deal with it now. As the praise team comes, here's some questions. Simple question to start off with. Would you know a truth from a mistruth? Would you know a truth of Scripture from some misguided mistruth that we've kind of developed or heard? And that's an important question because if you can't decipher between the two, then there's more work we have to do. Then we really are listening to ourselves rather than the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God will absolutely red flag every mistruth that comes along. And he will confirm truth. Number two, what mistruths are you using to validate your way of life? It makes me giggle when people say, well, I go to this place knowing that it's not going to be really conducive. Or I do this thing knowing that it might be a little bit gray area, but I do it to try to be a witness. I hope you can rationalize that in your mind and God really confirms that for you. Because the reality is sometimes the biggest witness is standing strong on truth. Myths, truths are so deceptive and so powerful that we will validate ourselves right past the pearly gates. And lastly, here's the biggest question of all this morning. Do you really trust God with your heart? Not asking you to doubt your salvation. I'm just, I'm asking you this morning. If you are a follower of God, one that truly believes that you are his child. I want you to truly ask yourself this morning, do I 100% trust God with every part of my heart, my mind, my will, and my emotions? Because I'm afraid the church as a whole is full of people that are about 25 and 75. 25% trusting him, 75% still trying to figure it out. Let's change that this morning. Just take a little step. A little one. Offer up whatever it is that he's brought to your mind this morning that you know is something that you are validating to make yourself be okay with it. Can I challenge you this morning? Let it go. Just let it go. Turn it over to him. Allow him to not treat the symptoms that you want to talk about, 
but to get to the heart of the matter. As always, the stairs are open for you to come and pray. The seats are there for you to go and pray. I'll be standing up here. Actually, I'll be standing in the back if you want to come back and pray. But listen, the time is now. Our time is running out. We have no idea what tomorrow holds, and now is the time to get serious about our faith. God, I love you. And I am thankful that you know my heart better than I know myself. And I am thankful that I trust you with it because I know in my own self I will lead myself astray and validate all the things that I want to do and make sense of it all. But God, you are bigger than that. And I trust you implicitly with my life, with my mind, with my will, with my emotions. And I rest in you knowing that you love me most and that you have great intentions for my life. You have great plans. And I know that you want to be all that you can for me. May I return that favor this morning, God. I submit all that I have to you. Lord, whatever it is that's deep within me that I am trying to validate and be okay with and hiding away and not wanting to deal with, God, bring it to the forefront of my mind that I may deal with it today. Lord, for my friends that are here, and God, you know that I count them as my friends. It is why I so passionately speak to them and want so bad for them to hear from you and to experience you the way that I get to. Lord, I know that there are things in our life that we are holding on to, that we are validating, that are keeping us from experiencing your fullness this morning. Lord, you are working on hearts already, and I pray, God, that you would give them the courage to make the change, to step out and go to you and confess it, own it, and allow your great spirit to gently work it out. Lord, if there's someone here that has never trusted you with their life, never turned everything over to you, I pray that today would be the day that they would come talk to me or find someone to say, I am interested, I want to do it, I want to follow God. Give them the courage to do so. Lord, you are so good, and I know you are so powerful, but I pray that you would gently, gently push people in your direction. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Come and fill this place with your mercy, with your grace. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, with power and with love, all consuming fire call. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come and fill this place with your mercy, with your grace, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, with power and with love, all consuming fire fall, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we want more of your presence, we want more of your power, we want more of your glory, we want to know you, we want more of your presence, we want more of your power, we want more of your glory, 
We want to know you. We want more of your presence. We want more of your power. We want more of your glory. We want to know you. We want more of your presence. We want more of your power. We want more of your glory. Again, we want to know you. We want more of your presence. We want more of your power. We want more of your glory. We want to know you. Come and fill this place with your mercy, with your grace. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, with power and with love, all-consuming fire call, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Lord, as you come and fill this place, may you not just fill this room, this building with your spirit, But God, fill the place inside of me, inside of us with your spirit. Lord, may we be made new knowing that, Lord, you see our heart. You see the parts of us that we don't like, the parts that no one else sees, the the parts that we can't even see ourselves. And God, you look into the innermost part of me and you love me. You see us, God, and you see your beloved children. And God, I just thank you for the delight and the joy that is in your heart when you see our hearts. Make us clean, make us pure, make us new in the image of your son. Thank you, God, for seeing us more clearly than anyone and loving us more deeply than we could ever understand. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. We have three quick announcements um, before we go. As we think about next steps and kind of where we go from here, there continue to be a variety of ways that you can be more involved in the church and um, in taking next steps. One quick one um, that we can mention is that uh, we are doing um, membership baptism, child dedication. If these are things that you are interested in, you can email the church. You can see um, any members of the church staff, but a number of folks are are members of our church and we invite you um, to come join in uh, baptism, in membership, or in dedicating a a child. Secondly, you know that we've got our big Easter egg um, project coming up. Um, Our goal is actually to give away 30,000 Easter eggs at the egg hunt. That's huge. We've got 11,000 packed so far. Thank you so much um, for those of you who have come out and volunteered and been part of that. 11,000 is a huge number of eggs. We're a third of the way there. Um, And this is a a big outreach uh, for our church. So just invite you to come out on Mondays. You can see uh, Miss Linda or any of the church staff to get uh, more information about that. And then third, um, we do have coming up um, a fundraiser uh, that will be part of our um, partnership with New Missions in Haiti. Uh, so our church at times past and in the future will be supporting a mission in Haiti. And we have um, an amazing uh, comedian, David Dean, uh, is coming out. Um, he's a hilarious guy. I listen to his podcast all the time. Um, but uh, he's going to be here 
on March 20th at 6 p.m. And um, you guys will, will love that. I uh, encourage you to get involved in the mission, but if nothing else, just come uh, enjoy the comedian uh, and invite your friends and your family to, um, to come be a part of that. And it's free. There you go. Where else are you going to go get a, hear a free comedian? I was thinking about your analogy about the dentist. And, um, and if I had this toothache, and so I schedule an appointment, I go into the dentist's office, and I, I sit down, and I just say, all right, dentist, here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to do. Here are the three steps that you need to take. You really need to hear my perspective on this. Thanks a lot. And I stand up and walk out. I haven't actually gotten anything out of that. But yet I approach God that way when there's stuff going on in my heart. I, I go talk to God and I tell God, here's the three things I need you to do. Here's what I want you to know. Here's what you need to do in this person's life and I'll talk to you tomorrow. And how often do I stop and go, okay, God, what do you want to say to me? And just quiet my heart and quiet my thoughts and let him do the work that he wants to do inside of me that I know is for my own good because he loves me. And when I go to the dentist, I don't tell the dentist what to do. I just say, okay, doc, here's the problem. I trust you. I may even be asleep when he does it. (laughs) But can I do that with God and say, God, here's my heart. Here's what's going on. I don't know what's next, but I trust you. And just listen and let him do the renovation work because I know he loves me and what he does will be for my healing and for my good if I can trust him. But it takes full surrender. And that's the hard part for us. But we can do it because he does it with us. He doesn't just say, hey, you know, leave it on the table. He says, let's go there together. So take the next step, whatever the next little step is in trusting God. He knows you well. He's got your good in mind and he will heal the deepest parts inside of you. God bless you. Thank you for being here this week. You're dismissed. We want more of your presence. We want more of your power. We want more of your glory. We want to know you. We want more of your presence. We want more of your power. We want more of your glory. We want to know you. We want more of your presence. We want more of your power. We want more of your glory. We want to know you. We want more of your presence. We want more of your power. We want more of your glory. We want to know you. Come and fill this place with your mercy, with your grace. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, with power and with love, all-consuming fire fall. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit.